Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of the Fantasy Consigliere Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Chapin. After changing it up some for Thanksgiving, we'll go back to hitting every game on the Week 13 slate, starting with Cowboys at Saints on Thursday night. It was reported last week that Ezekiel Elliott could be rested, though it doesn't look like that's the case, with Jerry Jones talking up his workload on Tuesday, and Zeke notably got a full practice in to start the week. That said, I'd probably downgrade him to more of a mid-range RB2 option, and Tony Pollard, even in a tough matchup versus New Orleans, is again on the flex radar. Last week I had him ranked as a low-end RB2, but the Saints are more stingy against the run, so I'd view him as more of a flex this week. Dallas should still look to get him the ball in space, and we saw last week what he could do as a kick returner. I know last week I went through trade targets, even though this week is probably when many might have their trade deadline. So for those looking ahead to the fantasy playoffs, it's not a bad idea to invest in Pollard. Maybe Zeke will eventually be rested, and Pollard is a definite game-breaker with standalone value and premium RB1 handcuff upside. For the wideouts, Amari Cooper's status is still shaky right now. He's apparently having symptoms just two days away from the game, so at best he might be a risky low-end wide receiver too. Cooper's history with volatility is well known, so being less than 100% coming off COVID if he doesn't need play, add some more risk to his game. Either way, CeeDee Lamb is a clear mid-range wide receiver one, and Michael Gallup I think is a strong play. Dak Prescott trusts him downfield, and Dallas has no reason to give Cooper a full complement of snaps with Gallup being capable of handling a full-time role, as we saw last week. And then notably, Gallup gets another good matchup in Week 14 versus Washington, so that's something to keep in mind, even if with Cooper and Lamb back, he's more of a wide receiver three. And then for the Saints, it sounds like Alvin Kamara could be back on Thursday. And I think you can immediately put him back in the top five at running back. Taysom Hill, who we've highlighted as a top ad every week on the waiver wire rankings, might be a little less mobile than usual dealing with a foot injury. But he'll still bring QB1 upside. And for the wideouts, it's tough to determine who might have a big game. Traquan Smith, Marquez Callaway, Deontay Harris... I like all three of them as upside flex plays, and I feel like one will hit on a deep touchdown so desperate owners can look to them if they need a Hail Mary option. And again, looking ahead for Taysom Hill, he'll take on the Jets in Week 14, so definite QB one upside in each of the next two games. Moving on to Sunday, starting with the Giants at Dolphins. It's encouraging that Joe Judge and the coaching staff want to get Kenny Galladay involved, but it's a tough matchup this week versus Miami, and the usage, I think, still isn't optimal. Ideally, the team would have gotten Galladay matched up on Amante Maddox in the slot last week to create a size mismatch. They could have used him on slot fades, quick slants, especially in scoring territory, but that didn't happen. So expect Galladay to see a lot of Byron Jones and Xavier Howard this week, and it's tough to trust him as a strong wide receiver three option. For Miami, you have to stick with Mike Kosicki at tight end. Game flow wasn't in his favor last week, but he still played 80% of the snaps, and I could see the Giants trying to take away Jalen Waddle as their top priority on defense. So with the state of tight end, you probably have to stick with the Kasiki's upside. For the running backs, you can also stick with Miles Gaskin. I'd say run blocking is a bigger concern than Philip Lindsay is. But New York showed holes last week, so we'll see if Gaskin and the Dolphins can take advantage. While somewhat dependent on touchdowns, Gaskin is a quality RB2 because of the volume, and Miami is hoping to play ahead again. The Colts are also looking to play ahead. It didn't result in a win last week against the Buccaneers. But now they'll take on the Texans. Jonathan Taylor has established himself as a clear overall RB1 the rest of the way. Now he gets a defense 
that he's averaged 100 rushing yards per game against and 7.4 yards per carry against in three career matchups. It's still unbelievable that people last year were counting out Taylor, but he's arguably the best running back in the league and he'll have a strong case to be a top overall pick next year. We had him as a top five pick this year, and he's definitely rewarded anyone that took him there. Also, we'll see if T.Y. Hilton can get going against the Texans. He caught a touchdown last week, and in his first action of 2021, he caught four or four targets for 80 yards against Houston. T.Y. has been a Texan killer throughout his career, so he's worth consideration as an upside flex in Week 13. For Houston's offense, Brandon Cooks is probably the only option to have confidence in. Brevin Jordan played 60% of the offensive snaps last week, and he has impressive athleticism and versatility despite going in the fifth round of the 2021 NFL Draft. Redraft value, it's tough to rely on a rookie outside of Pat Fryermuth and Kyle Pitts. But looking ahead, Jordan is definitely a strong investment for 2022 and beyond. Next up, Minnesota at Detroit. Dalvin Cook is dealing with a shoulder injury. It's been reported as a torn labrum and then reported to not be a torn labrum. But either way, it sounds like he'll miss two games, setting up Alexander Madison to be an RB1 over the next two weeks against Detroit and then on a Thursday night versus the Steelers. It seems like many Cook owners have handcuffed with Madison, but if not, and he's somehow available, he's obviously the top option on the waiver wire for Week 13. For Detroit's backfield, DeAndre Swift is also dealing with the shoulder. Dan Campbell signaled yesterday that he will probably miss this week, and if so, Jamal Williams will be immediately on the RB2 map. I'd say the rest of the way, with the Lions obviously being out of contention, we might see Williams get more work to keep Swift healthy for the future. So Williams is another guy that probably already should be rostered, but if not, he's a great add and could have rest of season flex value. Again, this week, if Swift doesn't play, he'll be up to the RB2 ranks. Detroit played the Vikings tough earlier this year, but I'd expect Kirk Cousins to have a bigger day. So he's a borderline QB1. And Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, obviously must starts for the top-heavy passing attack. Next game on the schedule, Eagles at Jets. Jalen Hurts is dealing with an ankle injury. So his status needs to be monitored throughout the week. Missing practice time would suggest Hertz might run less on the injured ankle, but it's tough to take him out of lineups because of the upside. So consider him more of a mid-range QB1 that you probably don't have a better option than. That said, I'd expect the Eagles to be more run-heavy this week. And if Miles Sanders, who seemed to re-aggravate his ankle injury last week, is unable to play, Boston Scott would be back on the RB2 map. Though you should also look at Jordan Howard who is said to be heading in the right direction. Fortunately, they play at 1 p.m., but Philadelphia has a bye next week, so it'll be interesting to see how they manage all their injuries. Also, unlike last week when Dallas Goddard and Devontae Smith were both extremely quiet, I'd expect Philadelphia, when they do throw, to go back to them as their main targets. The concern really would be New York not being able to keep up and leading to a very run-heavy day and a lack of production for the passing attack. For New York, Tevin Coleman had encouraging volume last week, 18 touches, which he turned into 70 yards. It was tough sledding versus a hard-playing Houston defense, so hopefully the Jets stick with him. A frustrating part of the backfield has been seemingly random usage by the goal line, but Coleman is a big play runner, and his projected volume keeps him on the flex radar. Also, New York might have Corey Davis back this week, but Elijah Moore seems like the player that would give Philadelphia more issues. And he's, again, a wide receiver two option. For the next matchup, Cardinals at Bears. Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins are both expected back on Sunday. And they can immediately be reinserted into lineups. Hopkins could see a lot of Jalen Johnson on Sunday. 
he'll probably be making up for lost time. And even though I'm often lower on Hopkins, I have him in the top 10 this week. However, because of that matchup with Johnson on Hopkins, Christian Kirk, A.J. Green, Randall Moore worth looking at, and they'll be on the flex radar. Chicago's cornerbacks behind Johnson have really struggled, and Kirk in particular is probably undervalued and has a fairly high ceiling. There will be quiet games for the skill position players of the Cardinals because of how many options they have. Remember, Zach Ertz now on the team, but the upside is definitely worth chasing. On the Chicago offense, I'd have a difficult time trusting Justin Fields if he's cleared to play. The floor simply isn't that high right now, and I think with Chicago only somehow being one game back from a wild card spot, Matt Nagy might feel Andy Dalton gives them the best chance to beat the Cardinals. Either way, Darnell Mooney, even if Allen Robinson returns, has established himself as Chicago's number one wideout. I could see Arizona's cornerbacks having a difficult time containing him, and over the past three games, Mooney has fantasy point totals in half PPR leagues of 19.1, 20.6, and 15.0. So I'm optimistic the Bears will continue playing through him. Cole Komet has also shown signs of a second-half breakout, but I wouldn't start him this week in a tough matchup against Arizona. So really, fantasy owners should only consider David Montgomery or Mooney in lineups for Week 13. Next up, a big AFC matchup, Chargers at Bengals. Joe Mixon has been unstoppable in recent weeks. He has 23-plus fantasy points in each of the past four games and in five of the past six games. So he's the RB2 behind Jonathan Taylor for Week 13. On the year, Mixon is now up to the overall RB3. And with the way Los Angeles has defended the run, fantasy owners can expect another monster performance on Sunday. Overall, Cincinnati playing through Mixon more has led to decreased production for their wide receivers, but it's tough to go away from Jamar Chase and D. Higgins with the size advantage this week against Los Angeles' corners should remain a wide receiver two play. And also, ZJ Uzama is back on the streaming radar against a defense that struggles against opposing tight ends. For the Chargers, as I said last week, they need to play more through Mike Williams. They look like a potential AFC powerhouse to start the year because of the play of Williams when they would target him both underneath and deep, but that really hasn't happened since he got injured. The floor is definitely a lot lower than you'd like, but you would think the Chargers will sort of go back to basics by featuring Williams to snap out of their skid. And the eight targets last week were at least his highest since week five. And for those who didn't watch the game, Williams had a cheap, bogus offensive pass interference call that went against him and took a play off the board. So I'm personally sticking with him for another game. I'm also, for the next game, Bucks at Falcons, sticking with Tampa Bay's pass catchers particularly Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Even if Antonio Brown returns, I'll have them each in the wide receiver one ranks with A.B. in the top 20. And I fully expect Tom Brady to rebound. I have him ranked as the overall QB1 for Week 13. In the first matchup this season, Brady tossed five touchdowns against Atlanta, and he also shredded them in 2020 with 395 yards per game and a 6-1 to touchdown interception ratio. So I don't think there's a better play at the position for this week. Also, Rob Gronkowski is definitely a high-end tight end one play. He scored twice against the Falcons in Week 2, and he'll continue to take advantage of single coverage. The same luxury, unfortunately, isn't true for Kyle Pitts in Atlanta. They won last week, but no Calvin Ridley has really been felt for the passing attack. Pitts should be viewed as an upside tight end one, with the hopes Tampa Bay is focused on stopping Cordero Patterson, but it doesn't look like the full upside will be unlocked in 2021, and the Bucks are starting to get healthier on defense so it wouldn't be surprised if the Falcons had one of those low-floor games that we've seen this season. 
to start the late afternoon slate. Jaguars at Rams. I think being called out for being soft by multiple members of the media could lead to Los Angeles showing more toughness, including by running the ball with Daryl Henderson. It's been curious that Sean McVay's offense has been overly reliant on Matthew Stafford, but if they want to win big games, they need to be more balanced. And Jacksonville just struggled to contain Cordell Patterson last week. So I like Henderson as a borderline RB1, and the Rams would be wise to try to control the game. There's a chance they stick to the passing attack, though. So Van Jefferson and Odell Beckham Jr. are both low-end wide receiver two flex options. They each saw nine-plus targets last week, along with Cooper Cup, who was a top wide receiver play for Week 13. So maybe Sunday will be a get-right spot for the entire offense. For Jacksonville, with Dan Arnold now potentially out for the season with a knee injury, James Robinson is probably the only option worth considering. Marvin Jones can avoid Jalen Ramsey enough to make an impact, but it's tough to view him as anything more than a low-end wide receiver three. And again, I'm worried that the Rams might have heard negative talk from the media and could come out fired up at home on both sides of the ball. I usually avoid defensive special teams talk. We have them in our rankings at wolfsports.com, but this week it feels like a spot where the Rams might finally come through with a big game so i definitely stick with them against Trevor Lawrence and the Jags. Next up, Washington at Las Vegas. Taylor Heineke continues to play excellent football, and the balance with Antonio Gibson being featured should only make things easier on him. Also, Logan Thomas and Curtis Samuel are a big boost on offense, which puts Heineke firmly on the streaming radar. Thomas, in particular, is someone that should be a strong play down the stretch. He was highlighted as a trade target in Episode 12, and to reiterate, he gets the Eagles in two more matchups. To close the season and Sunday will be a good matchup against the Raiders staying at tight end it sounds like Darren Waller will miss a week at least so Foster Moreau can be picked up and streamed as a tight end one play he's taken advantage of expanded opportunities every time they've come and aside from Hunter Renfro Derek Carr is most comfortable targeting his tight ends out wide I still believe in the talent of Brian Edwards but a lack of targets makes him a risky play and this might be a spot where not having Darren Waller actually hurts his outlook. Because Washington, as we saw with DK Metcalf on Monday night, might be able to have success taking away perimeter targets. Also, the loss of Waller is a downgrade to Derek Carr, but I still like him as a high-end QB too. And similar to Antonio Gibson for Washington, Josh Jacobs coming live on Thanksgiving should help take the pressure off the passing attack. Now for perhaps the best game on Sunday, because of their history, Ravens at Steelers, Lamar Jackson's struggles have definitely hurt fantasy owners in November, but you probably have no choice but to stick with him in your starting lineup. Pittsburgh has given him fits sometimes in the past, but the defense isn't the same right now, and I'm worried about them being able to contain the passing attack in particular with the concerns for the Steelers on the back end. You're sticking with Marquise Brown as an upside wide receiver too, and Rashad Bateman should rebound as a flex. For the Steelers, Pat Fryermuth is in the concussion protocol, and he'd be a massive loss this week if he's unable to get cleared. So Pittsburgh will likely play heavily through Najee Harris and Deontay Johnson on Sunday. This will be the first taste of the AFC North rivalry for Harris, but I expect it'll be something he embraces. For Deontay, he's been quiet in four career matchups against Baltimore, but Big Ben will pepper him with targets so he can stay in lineups as a wide receiver too. And I'd also like to see Ben Roethlisberger give James Washington a shot on a deep pass he should see one-on-one -on -one coverage, and I'm sure the Ravens will be doing all they can to stop the headliners for Pittsburgh's offense. So while probably not an option in redraft leagues, 
Washington can certainly make an impact on Sunday. Now jumping to another heated rivalry in the other conference, Niners and Seahawks. A late touchdown saved Russell Wilson last week, who was my thumbs up of the week to finish with almost 20 fantasy points. I thought some extra time to get his finger healthy would help Wilson put up numbers against Washington. But clearly Seattle has overall identity issues. So you almost have to downgrade Wilson to being a low-end QB1 at best. That being said, I'm hopeful that DK Metcalf can get going on Sunday. He's had success against San Francisco in the past, while Tyler Lockett has been more of the guy that struggles against the Niners. So Metcalf remains on the wide receiver one borderline. And you can also look to Gerald Everett for anyone desperate at tight end. This is usually a tough matchup for opposing tight ends, but San Francisco will be without starting linebackers Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. So Everett is worth picking up now especially if you want to look ahead to week 14 when he gets a great matchup against Houston. For the running backs, Alex Collins probably can't be trusted anymore. Maybe the linebacker injuries that I just mentioned will allow Seattle to get the running game going, but I'd personally like to see them unleash DJ Dallas the rest of the way. It probably won't happen, but Dallas is a versatile player, and making him the featured back could make the offense more difficult to prepare for. Again, though, that matchup next week against Houston is worth keeping in mind. So Collins or even Rashad Penny can be worth stashing as a projected early down back in a game Seattle should play from ahead in. Back to this week for the Niners offense, Debo Samuel is out. So Brandon Ayuk is a top 15 option at wide receiver with more of that role that we saw last year when he did some of the things, definitely not all the things, but some of the things that Debo Samuel does for Kyle Shanahan's offense. And behind Ayuk, I'm guessing Trent Sherfield will have a bigger role but Jawan Jennings has emerged for San Francisco, and both guys can be considered in deeper leagues. If possible, though, I'm sure San Francisco will play through Elijah Mitchell. He's seen 27 carries in back-to-back -back games, and Shanahan clearly has no worries about feeding the rookie despite recent finger surgery. So this will be definitely the highest I've ranked him. I believe he's RB6 or RB7 for this week. As always, full rankings can be found at wolfsports.com, but Mitchell is a definite RB1, and will stay there as long as he remains healthy. One thing to note, I'm not sure if I've said it before, but Mitchell's hard-charging running style makes his handcuff important. So Jeff Wilson, despite little standalone value at this point, should definitely remain rostered. Mitchell's already dealt with two or three injuries this year, and if another occurs, then you'll want to have Wilson rostered for the fantasy playoffs. For Sunday Night Football, Broncos at Chiefs. Kansas City is rested coming off the bye, and the way they played defense recently, I won't have a ton of confidence in Denver's passing attack. Cortland Sutton in particular has been quiet, and I don't like the matchup this week against the size of Kansas City's corners. So Jerry Judy is a preferred play at wide receiver, but really, if the Broncos are going to win, they need to rely on Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, and Noah Fant on Sunday night. All three are strong starts. Fant less so. He's more of a low-end, tight-end one. But Javante Williams is a top-20 option at running back, and Gordon isn't far behind him. Basically, the Broncos need to control the game by running the ball, and maybe Vic Fangio will be able to come out with a game plan that stops Patrick Mahomes and the offense of the Chiefs. Obviously, you're playing Mahomes, you're playing Tyreek Hill, you're playing Travis Kelsey. Those are givens every week, but really the value to be determined for fantasy owners in Kansas City's offense is how many touches Darrell Williams will get behind Clyde edwards helaire and who will emerge as the number two wideout behind Hill. Bevan Pringle seemed to have momentum based on recent games, but it wouldn't be a surprise if Josh Gordon coming off the bye ends up being the guy. They signed him for a reason, 
And with Kansas City heading in the right direction as a team, it makes sense for them to get Gordon going as a potential X-factor in January. For now, I'd hold off on starting any of the wideouts other than Hill, but especially in deeper leagues, Gordon could be looked at as a speculative ad for the final six games. Finally, on Monday night, the game of the week, Patriots at Bills for first place in the AFC East and potentially the AFC. I'm sure Bill Belichick has been scheming a way to stop Josh Allen and the Buffalo offense for the past year. So although Allen and Stephon Diggs are must-starts, I'm sure they won't go totally crazy like last season. And I'm guessing New England will dare them to run with Matt Breida and Devin Singletary, both of whom are on the flex radar. And for the wideouts behind Diggs, I would expect Emmanuel Sanders will be the one that can single coverage, so we'll see if him and Allen can take advantage of that. Also, before getting to the New England's offense, possible snow is in the forecast, but unless it's some sort of heavy snowstorm, I don't think it will have a huge effect on things, but it's just something else to keep in mind. For the Patriots, Mac Jones is now the heavy favorite for Offensive Rookie of the Year, and for good reason. He puts the ball on the money, takes his check downs, and allows his pass catchers to do work after the catch. So Buffalo being without Tredavious White will make Monday night a much easier matchup. The loss of White is probably one that's gone under the radar for whatever reason, but he's the true superstar player, and Sean McDermott's defense will have a difficult time making up for his loss. Still, I expect New England to stick to the ground game. The Bills have actually not been great when facing good running teams. The schedule's been easy overall, but they allowed 143 yards and three touchdowns on 20 attempts versus Tennessee, Derrick Henry. And then obviously we saw what Jonathan Taylor did two weeks ago. So the gelling offensive line of New England should be able to open holes for Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, and both guys can be viewed as low-end RB2 plays. Unfortunately, the Patriots having a winning formula by the two splitting work leaves them being touchdown-dependent options, but they at least have fairly high floors. And again, Buffalo's defense will be challenged by one of the league's best rushing teams. And that concludes episode 13. Until next time, I'm Dylan Chapin. This was a Fantasy Consigliere podcast.